0: Good morning. Hope you're enjoying the long weekend. A couple days off from school, less homework, hopefully. This morning we're going to talk about freedom that leads to perseverance. And perseverance is one of those topics that we don't like to cover. Because it's not perseverance... Unless it's hard, unless it involves suffering, unless it's difficult, and you are called to put up with it for a lengthy period of time, you do not persevere for one second. It may feel that way. You do not persevere when you go through the McDonald's drive-thru and they say, pull up to spot number two and we will bring your order out. I know that each one of us comes to church this morning with things in our life requiring perseverance. It may be a relationship issue. It may be health-related. It may be money. It could be anything. It could be something that you're trying to change in your life. You've wanted to change year after year, and you're frustrated that you haven't got to the point that you want. You know, maybe things that you cry about at night when you go to sleep. Maybe things that you have a hard time getting out of your mind. That you just wish one day you would wake up and somehow life would be different. That whatever the situation is that has caused you to struggle would just somehow go away on its own. It would just solve itself. And yet, there it is. And you woke up this morning and you're faced with that. You know, I remember the first time I decided to run a triathlon, it was in 1995, Olympic distance, so you swam for 1K out in the ocean, and then you biked for 40K, and then you had to run at 10K. And the hardest part for me was the running, because I liked to bike. I was a good swimmer, not particularly good at running. But you get off the bike, and all the blood is uh, in your quads from cycling, and now you need it all in your hamstrings to run. So you're running, and you literally feel like you've never run before. You have noodle legs. And I remember running in the finish line with Seaport Village in San Diego. So it was a really beautiful setting, and it was a beautiful morning. And I'm, I'm trying to run, and if it was videotaped, you'd go, you'd call that a run. It was my best effort at the moment. And I remember getting to about a mile and a half, and I'm just like, I've had enough of this. Judah thought that was funny. Uh, and I stop, and I, I start walking fast, and this old guy came up behind me and he's like we're all in pain get going. <laughs> That's all he says. So I did. And I hobbled and limped and and survived. And I remember laughing like you know it's been over 20 years and I still remember that one liner. We're all in pain get going. You know, and the writer of Hebrews is going to get to that point in our discussion on perseverance. But sometimes it's just good to put life in perspective. Because we often think life should not require perseverance. Especially if we become a Christian, then everything's supposed to be, you know, just be uh, paved with gold and no hardship. And so when we go through difficulties, we ask the question, what's wrong? What matters? What's like what? What is wrong with God? What's wrong with Christianity? What's wrong with my faith? What's wrong with who I am? And the Bible is simply saying nothing. You just need to persevere. But we don't often start in that place. But the Bible has some great answers for what to do when you're in those moments that require perseverance. So we're going to be in Hebrews for the entire sermon. So we're in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders The entire book of Hebrews was written to a group of Christians that were contemplating walking away from their faith, go back to their Jewish way of life, be able to go back to their old patterns of living, their old standbys, to be able to live in the way that they functioned in for a long time because life was getting too hard, too painful, too discouraging. They were wondering if it really mattered anymore. And the entire book of Hebrews is written to convince these brothers and sisters in Christ to persevere, to hang in there, to never give up. And you get all the theory through the first 11 chapters and then. Chapter 12 gets into the practicals. The writer of Hebrews says this, focus on Jesus. You say, what's going on with this picture? Well, if you can see closely, there's actually a man standing in the middle of that dinosaur. He just blends in really good. Dragon, that's what I meant, dragon. Yeah, it's a very fiery dragon looking dinosaur. The Dragosaurus. Thank you, teams, for being really on top of it. That's awesome. It's awesome. But there's a man standing in the front in the middle of the dragon. Yeah, you gotta look closely. Blends in really well. But he's there. You know, sometimes we think Jesus is like playing hide-go-seek and in the forest. Well, maybe he's behind the tree. Maybe he just blends in so well that I have a hard time seeing him. You know, the fact of the matter is, when you don't know Jesus, the world actually views this picture like Jesus. Oh, he's just kind of like another path to God. He's just like all world religions. Everybody is basically the same. Jesus is just this, you know, certain flavor of living the good life. But, yeah, you know, it's pretty much a Santa Clarita life. Jesus is just kind of in there somewhere. You got to see him. You know, you just got to look really closely, and then you'll be able to catch a glimpse of Jesus. Let me tell you something. That is not... The Jesus of the Bible. That is not the Jesus that Arlin responded to when she was doing her Bible studies and knelt down and started weeping. You see, the Jesus that blends in is not a difference maker in your life. He's just kind of there. Oh, it's, that's kind of a cool picture. He's in there somewhere that is not the Jesus of the Bible. And too often, one of our biggest problems is that we're called to focus on a Jesus, but we don't even know the Jesus that we're called to focus on. So we're trying to focus on the wrong thing. You ever been looking off at the horizon? Somebody goes, oh, hey, do you see that? And you're like, see what? That. What's that? And they describe what it is, and you're looking, and you're like, I don't see anything. And they're like, no, you can see it. It's right there. And then eventually you're able to lock in on it, and all of a sudden you go, oh, it makes sense. I I totally see it now. But you just weren't sure what it was you were looking at. Well, I want to focus a little bit on... Jesus. But I want you to ask yourselves a question. Do you really know where to find Jesus? The real Jesus. Do you look to him? You say, what does that mean? Do you look to him? Let me rephrase it. Is he the authority your life you see that's what it means to look to him that means hey what do i do jesus what should i do jesus you tell me your words will define me that's what it means to look to jesus see you can know where to find jesus and never look to him you ever put something in your calendar but then you were still surprised I mean, I could name names. We have church events that we hand out a four-month paper calendar. And then we have two different electronic calendars that you can subscribe to so it just comes up on your phone. And then we make we make public announcements. And then well, a lot of people go, oh, I didn't know we were having that event. You see, because... Having it posted and looking at it so you lock in are two different things, right? So do you look to him? Then do you stay focused on Jesus? You see, you can look to Jesus, but then as soon as life gets difficult or overwhelming or you're tired, you look away to your go-to methods. You go back to anger. You go back to being detached. You go back to what's popular at school. You go back to the old way of living. Not because you don't know where to find him. And not because you weren't looking at him. But as soon as the wind and the waves come, you didn't stay Focused during the turmoil. I like this saying, starve your distractions, feed your focus. Point is, be purposeful. About looking back to what it is you're trying to focus on. Well, we're going to let the Bible define Jesus, the real Jesus. So Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews two. Says this in verse 10, talking about Jesus. It says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Then down in verse 17 and 18, it says, for this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. You know, in verse 10, it says that that the pioneer and perfecter of our faith had to be made perfect through suffering. And this word perfect, it's it's completion. It's like when you're working on a big project and you finally finish it, so it's done. There's no further work to be done. That's this word, uh, perfect. So it doesn't mean that Jesus lived an imperfect life and then he suffered. And now all of a sudden he's a new and improved Jesus. It just means he reached the point of completion. For what? Suffering made him fully qualified. To be the high priest for us, to make atonement for us, to be merciful. You know, you think about the concept of mercy. Mercy is when you are extending grace to a person, you're extending forgiveness In a scenario where they have blown it, they have fallen short, they've sinned, they've hurt you, they've disappointed you, and you could judge, but instead, you show mercy. You know, I remember when I was a young Christian, and I was in Toronto, and you'd see a lot of children everywhere. And I remember, and, and you see a child, you know, sass their mom. And I remember before I was married with children thinking things like, well, maybe those parents ought to get their act together. Because apparently they're not parenting because their child sassed their mom. You know, when, when you have not been a parent, it is easy to form opinions that lack mercy. And then you become a parent and you see children very differently. And the whole parenting process differently. And you start seeing examples of people that are maybe not all that great of parent's And just have the most incredible kids. And then you see parents that are fully engaged and loving and in there and making good decisions. And you see their children do some really boneheaded things. And you realize, you know what, parents have incredible influence, but kids have their own sinful nature. And so you start realizing, oh. Yeah, maybe I need to evaluate life differently. Maybe I not, should not, you know, form my opinion so conclusively because I haven't really lived life in those shoes. You know, I remember when, when our children would go through difficult times and I remember talking with John Mantle, and he goes, Ron, this is going to make you a better minister. Because there's things that you will only learn by going through it. And I said, John, I don't want to learn that way. I want you to write a book from DPI, and then I will read it, and I will take good notes, and I promise you, I will learn from what you share. But his point was this He said, Now you're going to become a better minister, you're going to be a better Christian. And Jesus was going to become a fully qualified high priest. Merciful. Because of what he suffered. Go a little bit later in the book to uh, Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions With fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now, I don't know if you caught the wording there. During the days of life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was heard. What was heard? His prayers to the one who could save him from death. I don't know if you know the story of Jesus, but he died. He died a horrible death on a cross. But the Bible says... That his prayers were hard. Then why did he die on the cross? You see, and sometimes we think that for God to hear our prayers means he has to answer them the way that we want him to answer. And if I don't hear the answer that I want, I'm going to hold God hostage. I'm going to pout. I'm not going to come to church. I'm not going to help anyone. I'll come late and leave early. Because God didn't answer the way that I wanted. That's what we're talking about here. Jesus was required to persevere. Because the life that Jesus was living was not for himself. He could have just gone through life, never sinned not gone to the cross, and he would have been just fine. He would have gone right back to the right hand of the throne of God. But what he was called to do was to be that merciful high priest. And what was it he was learning? That word, you know, he learned obedience. How do we learn obedience? Well, you ever not obeyed God and experienced really bad consequences? Okay, we learn that way, right? Shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have had a fit of rage. Lost my job. Hurt my wife. Hurt my kids. Shouldn't have done that. We learn. You realize Jesus never learned because of a consequence of his disobedience. Think about that for a moment. And that word learned means it became apparent to him. It's like when you're in a situation, all of a sudden you fully realize what it's all about. That was the learning that he achieved. You say, what was it that he learned? Jesus learned. Learned the pain of human life. He learned what it was like to suffer in an unjust world. He learned what it was like to be hated. He learned what it was like to be abandoned. He learned what it was like to be sinned against. He learned the pain. Of living the human life. Now, not because he sinned like we do. But he's merciful because he was made like you and I in every way. So everything we go through, the pain of our humanity, Jesus goes, I know. I get it. I'm with you. I love you. I believe in you. I know you can do better. Hang in there. Don't give up. I didn't quit. I went to the cross. Look at me. You see, when you look at that Jesus, when you focus in on that Jesus, That's a whole different response. You see, when you look at Christianity as a self-help program, you're not looking at Jesus. You're looking at yourself. Hey, what am I going to get out of this thing if I become a Christian? What's my benefit package? Show me the contract. Then I'll determine whether or not I sign up. That's why people study the Bible and they and they struggle surrendering because they're not looking at Jesus. They're looking at themselves. I, 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 I. How about Jesus, 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 Jesus? You see, when you live an I lifestyle, man, you're weak in your Perseverance. And you're tempted to quit and you're evaluating the outcome, just like the people in the book of Hebrews and the writer of Hebrews says, fix your eyes. On Jesus, you know where to find him in the scriptures. You got to study the Bible, you got to let the Bible make clear who the real Jesus is. And then you got to look to him, he's got to be the defining authority for how you live your life there can't be any buts yeah yeah i know that jesus says but no that's not looking to jesus and then when life gets tough and it will and whatever it is you're persevering in right now and you're tempted to go back to the old patterns the old ways The Bible says, no, get your eyes back on Jesus. Stay focused through the pain. He didn't quit. Persevere. That's the Jesus that we look to. Now, go back to Hebrews 12. We're going to continue on verse 4. It says in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted the point of shedding your blood. And you have completely forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do, do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. And through a hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the fathers of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I want to focus you... On verse 11, it says that no discipline is pleasant at the time. Persevering is never fun. It says, but later on. When's later on? Well, we don't know. It's just not right now. It produces. What produces? Your perseverance produces, your endurance produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, that word trained in the Greek word is gymnasium. I mean, when you go to the gymnasium. So point two is we need to train like a gymnast. So I picked a good example. This is our sister Chloe Chell right here. Yep. Yeah. So what the writer of Hebrews is saying, you got to become a gymnast. That you don't need to have the flexibility of a gymnast. But when it says that perseverance is going to train you, this is what is being compared to. So you've got to train. You've got to get in the gym. You've got to work on it. But it says at the end, there will be a harvest. It will produce fruit. So the writer of Hebrews says, hey, you've got to look to Jesus. And then you know what? You need to be a gymnast. So that's, that's the two points. So, what are the practicals? It says, well, you've got to gain the correct perspective. I didn't choose the word a new perspective. Because new implies that your old one might be right. No, it's the correct perspective. Well, what's the perspective that Hebrews is talking about here? He's saying, listen, listen. He said discipline means that God is working on you, that God loves you. You know, he even starts and he goes, hey, you're alive. You know, this is like a stronger version of what I heard on the triathlon. We're all in pain. Get going. You ever told your sob story to somebody and then you finish and then they tell theirs? And all of a sudden you realize, wow. Wow. I'm actually really glad. I don't have their scenario. I thought mine was bad. But theirs is way worse. You know, the writer of Hebrews is like, hey, you're still alive, aren't you? He's saying, hey, how would you like to talk about your hardships to somebody who lost a spouse that was crucified because of their faith? Or maybe a son or a daughter that was killed because they refused to renounce their faith in Jesus. How do you like to tell them your story? He's saying, you haven't resisted the point of shedding blood. He's saying you're alive. He's not saying it's not hard. What he's saying is, it could be worse. You could be called to die for your faith. He says, you're a child of God. God is working in your life. God loves you. Remember those things at the beginning that I asked you to think about? What in your life requires perseverance right now? Whatever it is that you're in, you know what that means? God loves you. God's working on you. That doesn't mean God caused it to happen, There may be some things that he causes to happen to work on us. But there's other things that he allows to happen that work on us. You know why? Because God knows that you're capable of more, that you can be more like Jesus. Not because he's upset. Now, sometimes he works on you because you made a bad decision. And he says, no, that is not okay. You ever felt lonely or empty or I feel like I'm praying to the clouds and they're just bouncing off and where's God? You know, maybe God invented the first time out. We do it all the time with our kids. You need to go sit in your room. Think about what you've done. Have a little alone time. Maybe God's like, hey, you're in spiritual time out right now. You need to think about what you've done. You see, the writer here is Hebrews like, listen, if you really see the correct perspective, then you think differently about what you're persevering through right now. Yo, know, three times in that passage, God calls us to endure. You know what that word endure means there? It means remain where you are, take a stand, wait expectantly. You see, when you endure, what what's endurance? I give up. No, it says. You ought to remain hopeful. I'm enduring. Forget it. There's no point maintaining my convictions. Might as well just sin it up. Life isn't changing anyway. No. Stand firm. Maybe I should just give up entirely. No. Remain where you are. He says training produces fruit. That means that you just keep going to the gym and fruit will be produced. Well, there's there's two things that are noted, righteousness and peace. You know, when you're called to persevere, don't you want peace, whatever that thing is? It's like, yeah, yeah, righteousness, man, I just wish I could have peace. That's why that's why that's in there. But it says it's the harvest, it's the fruit of doing what? Getting in the gym. Yeah, you know, then where's our action steps? Therefore, what do we do when we're in the gym? He says, strengthen your feeble arms. You know, I just started going to the gym again. It's been a couple of years. I had a gym membership, but when I was in grad school, all my free time was reading and writing. And so I didn't go to the gym, and I'm like, this is just dumb to pay all this money and never go to the gym. I might as well use that money and buy some good food, Um, which also made me gain weight while I was not going to the gym, but the food was good. Um, But so now I went back in the gym, and my wife made sure that when I got my new membership that they included she's a good bargaining person. She made sure that they included six free personal training appointments. I'm like, babe, I, I don't want a personal trainer. I'll just go and ride a bike and do a little bit of stuff. And she said, yeah, but the personal training is so good and it's free. And so when I signed up, they didn't. she goes, well, did you get the six appointments? And I said, no. And she goes, you you got to get those things. So she went in and talked to the head. And they said, oh, yeah, 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 Cheryl. Yeah, Ron's supposed to get those things. He's going to be hearing from the guy, Caden. And Caden's a great young man. He's a football player uh, for COC. And so I learned we would have leg day and then we would have upper body day. And he would just make me do some awful things. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, Kaden's like, serious? You want me to hold that thing and do that at the same time? And I would fall down. I mean, because, you know, some of them required balance, which I didn't have. And then we'd get done and he goes, now to cool down. Okay, now you got to stretch out. He goes, okay, go ahead and lean forward and grab your toes. I couldn't get to my knees. And he's like... Are you stretching? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, yeah, I used to be like you. But, uh, you know, he's like grabbing the underside of his feet. I'm like, I doubt that, Caden, but you're a really great guy. Um, But then, you know what happens after leg day? Two days later, you try and squat down to pick something off the ground. And I'm like, where, where's, the, where's the handicap rails in my house? Because I, I can't get there. And then after arm day, it's like, you know, you're like, yeah, hi. I'm trying to grab that. You know, and then Caden's like, hey, how'd you feel? I go, two days after the workout, Caden, I was in so much pain. And he just smiled and he goes, good, it's doing its work then. Okay, so strengthen. Your feeble arms. The Bible says feeble arms. Do you know what the feeble means? Things that have become weak through neglect. Oh, where might that have application in our spiritual life? You know, there's things in our spiritual life. Our perseverance muscles are weak through neglect. Because we don't want life to be hard. So we quit doing persevering things. And our spiritual muscles atrophied. You know, when it says, And strengthen your weak knees. That's not just saying your knee. You know, tighten up You know your IT band and your MCL and your ACL. That's not what it's talking about there. It says, The knees are bent knees that worship. Oh, wait, interesting. So it's saying that you become paralyzed with the humility that would lead to kneeling. Well, isn't that interesting? I stopped wanting to be humble. I stopped bowing before God. I stopped kneeling in prayer because I want my life. My way, on my terms, on my schedule, with my budget, and I'm not going to kneel. You know, this is what needs strengthening. This is get back in the gym. Take a lesson from Arlen. What she say she did? She goes, I went upstairs to my bedroom and I knelt down and wept and prayed. That's what Hebrews is saying. Strengthen the worshiping knees. And then he says, Make level paths for your feet. Make. You know what he says? Cause to be. Who's doing the causing? You. That you know what we want? I can't change my circumstances. No, you're not supposed to cause to be the circumstances. You're supposed to cause to be. How you respond, how you live to those circumstances. The whole point of perseverance is that we can't change the circumstance. But you can change how you live. says so straight pass, level pass. What is it? Upright, correct, true, integrity. Have you compromised your integrity because life got hard? You did or looked at or said things. That you shouldn't have, you engage in behavior that a year ago or a decade ago you would never thought you were capable of. Says so cause to be, make level pass, so you can be healed, healing, restoration, renewal. Yeah, when you're in the middle of trials, when you're in the middle of the call to persevere. The circumstances are not the point. It's what the persevering is forming in you and in me. By God's hand, that is the point. So where are we at? You know, the writer of Hebrews knows. He said, listen, life isn't going to get easy anytime soon. He said, I want you to do two things. He goes, number one, I want you to focus on Jesus. If you're not studying the Bible, you need to get into the Bible with somebody and you need to study out who Jesus is. So you know the Bible, Jesus. You know the one that can be merciful. You know the one that can relate to you, who is with you and will show you mercy. And you let him define your decisions. You let him define how you're going to live. And when life gets tough, don't look away. A writer of Hebrews says, the second thing hey, get in the gym, be a gymnast, get trained, get strong, make level pass. You got a choice. God is moving and working in your life and in my life. And sometimes what we want is freedom from having to persevere. No. It's freedom that leads to perseverance. It means that because you're thinking correctly, you successfully endure. You negotiate The perseverance that's required of you. This is not, oh, if I think correctly, I never have to persevere. Because that's just not reality. That's fantasy land there. That's not true Christianity. And so you and I have choices to make. Will you persevere? Fix your eyes on Jesus. And let's get into the gym and train to be like gymnasts. Amen? Let's stand as we close in one final song.